There is an MDL right now um, against Uber, and this is for failure to prevent driver sex assaults. Um, and this is uh, relatively new, but they're saying that um, Uber has known for um, nearly a decade that its drivers were preying on and sexually assaulting passengers, but they failed to do anything to try to um, to 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 provide safety. At the same time, they're advertising that it's very safe for women yeah. to use Uber um, and that there are certain things that they could have done better that they have decided not to do. Again, prioritizing profits um, over over safety. Prioritizing profits. Prioritizing prioritizing dangerous drug and product cases. Welcome back. Another week, another episode. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How's how's your weekend? All good, actually. Um, back from got back from Tampa. So let's see. We recorded two, and we did not record on the fourteenth since it was Valentine's Day. So here we are a week later, which is Peter's birthday. Today happy is birthday, the day. Peter. Yes, happy birthday, honey. <laughs> um, but yeah, good. I mean, it's been this past weekend was great. We did a really long, vigorous hike on Sunday. Vigorous hike. Yeah, yeah. We forgot how vigorous this hike was. There's a lot of up and down mm. um, going to Kentucky camp, um, but it was good. It was warm, t-shirt weather. Yeah. The dogs had a blast. Peter and I were both feeling a little bit sore by the end of it, but the dogs handled it beautifully. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been great and getting ready to leave tomorrow for Peter's birthday trip to Prescott. Nice. Yeah. It's very exciting. Is it, uh, it's a birthday trip. So what does that exactly entail? Well, I don't know that really entails anything. We've been kind of taking at least little road trips once a month. Um, but we wanted to do one around Peter's birthday. Usually we do like the second, um, weekend of the month, but I was in Tampa for my Super in the City event. So um, we didn't do it, and it seemed fitting to take a trip right around Peter's birthday just to celebrate him. So he'll be the center of attention. He does deserve celebration. Uh, Christina and I, uh, if he is listening to this, I think he's already received the present. Yes, it'll be a week later. (laughs) Christina and I got him a surprise present. It's like a mystery box of, of different snacks, exotic snacks, because he's a very, he's an exotic eater. Like I just likes to try different flavors yeah. and different things. And, um, and then he's also a snacky person. Oh, he just, annoying. Yeah. Middle of the night snacks. So we put two and two together and thought, why not some unique exotic snacks, which I think, you know, because he is European, what things that are unique to us might not be unique to him. Um, I know when I went to Amsterdam, I thought some of the desserts were like, crazy absurd right like some of the flavors on the candy bars and chips Mm -hmm. and all that but that's just what that's just how they do it there yeah well i think it'll yeah i I mean he is a big snacker and the reason i say it's annoying um is just because like he snacks and he doesn't gain any weight (laughs) um and he just snacks all the time and and that's like not something you're supposed to do after dinner if you you know want to be healthy Uh, but he gets away with it but yeah he likes he likes very different things. So I'm kind of excited too as well. well he likes to have snacks on the road, as yeah. you can probably imagine. So we've got a little bit of a drive there and back. So I suspect he'll be tearing into those early on. Yeah, I think one of my f- the funniest things you told me is when, uh, because you make the fresh dog food for mm-hmm. your dogs. That's like just straight beef and carrots and um, green beans. Green beans. And sometimes carbs. They're on a low carb right now, so they don't get the sweet yeah, potato. Yeah, maybe some brown rice or sweet mm-hmm. potato, something like that. But completely unseasoned, uh, just just straight. 
and you'll wake up in the middle of the night to Peter sneaking out, heating up some of the dog food, <laughs> maybe throwing some salt and pepper on exactly. there. Exactly. He adds a little spice to it and yeah. eats the dog food. I'm like, that's for the dogs. I mean, it's healthy. healthy. It's, well, it's very healthy, but I don't want the dogs going hungry. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, how was your sober in the city? It was great. It was really, really good. Um, spent an extra couple of days there. So we spent a day also in Clearwater um, and then a day in uh, actually downtown Tampa. Nice. Um, any alligators? Crocodiles. No, no, no. We did not see any alligators. No snakes? Pythons? I know. We didn't see any real wildlife. We did go on a dolphin cruise and we saw a couple of dolphins. Um, and then we also saw, like, so in Clearwater, this is where, like, the Church of Scientology, Ooh. I don't know if it's based there, but they have bought up, like, all of Clearwater. And, and Tom Cruise actually has a condominium there. Um, we, we could see that from our boat. And he has this, like, top floor of this building. And he actually takes his car. There's an elevator that takes his car all the way up into his you know, his condo with him. So he doesn't like park in the garage. That's crazy. So it's, it's That's crazy. crazy. Was this like part of the tour where they're yeah, like, to yeah. your left, you can see Tom Cruise's house and into his yeah. living room. Exactly. And John Travolta. <laughs> but, you know, Tom Cruise is huge in the Church of Scientology. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah There's yeah, that yeah, whole yeah. Uh, clip that I like try to get off the internet where he's preaching about Scientology and how great it is and all that. Well, it was kind of, then Peter and I were talking about it and, you know, it's this L. Ron Hubbard, um, it was this book and, um, I mean, there, there's some of the things, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I mean, everybody's religion is okay, but this one, you know, that they, they believe that aliens came and some things along those lines that I guess I just, um, are challenging for me. How is that? Is that democratic? Yeah. I, I what I've heard about it, it's not even really religion based. It's more of just like the secret society, like secret society. The culty. Back, yeah, culty. Well, yeah, definitely culty, but kind of like backroom deals running the country and Scientology has a big part in that where, uh, because there's the whole thing with like Illuminati and devil worshiping as well, where the, a lot of the famous people just so happen to have some of these characteristics or qualities. I Spice at uh, Super Bowl, there's a clip of her going around where she was wearing an upside down oh, cross see, yeah. and um, the camera went out on like Taylor Swift chugging a beer but then I Spice was in the background like doing apparently demonic symbols uh, <laughs> with an upside down cross. So anyways, I think Scientology is kind of pulled into that group of secret society running things behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, I really don't know a lot about it, but it was an interesting uh, little, you know, thing to talk about on the tour. And yeah. uh, I uh, did not get um, abducted or uh, <laughs> converted. Or so eaten by crocodiles. Yeah. No, we didn't see any crocodiles at all. Um, but uh, it was a great trip. Um, saw a lot of friends that I don't get to see very often. Um, twice a year, basically, at these events, and the next one will be in Seattle in September. So, Seattle, yeah. nice. That's a good pick. It's a good pick. Yeah. It's definitely um, really changing up with the scenery, starting in Florida and then going <laughs> to Seattle, quite quite far from each other, quite diverse. But maybe that's the way to do it. Keep things interesting. You know, if you're not drinking, you might as well change up the weather and location a bit, right? Well, and it's also just because people all over the country want to attend. Yeah. And so if you move it around, then it's easier for some people. I mean, it's a little bit closer for me, but it's still, I haven't gotten one that's drivable for me yet. Yeah, I... Um, there, when I went to one of the Monkey Dow like executive meetings, it was in Chicago, mm -hmm. and we were trying to figure out where to do it. And one of the reasons we did it in Chicago is because we had someone from um, Germany, I think, flying in, and it was just like much easier for him to get there from. Just Chicago is like the only part of the country that would make sense for him to go all the way out for for a trip like this. Mm. 
Interesting. Anyways. And also tell me what's happening with you. <laughs> uh, not much. Not much. You know, I got a haircut today. Me and Bruno. Bruno and I got haircuts today. You both um, look very handsome. Yeah. And something that you said that I just, I don't fully understand before <laughs> we got on here is that I said I, I, got, I took a shower immediately after. And you said you don't take showers after the haircut. I don't even, I can't comprehend that because when I get a haircut, the feeling of the little hair pollicle follicles, whatever, the particles, and, and the itchiness, and on my shirt, on my collar, all of that. Cannot stand it. It's unbearably uncomfortable. I have to take a shower immediately after, right when I get home. I can't even, like, go somewhere else in between. I just go straight home. Uh, well, that's unique. I don't know <laughs> if other listeners have the same issue, but, I mean, if I go and get my hair done, I mean, it looks good when I leave. I'm not going to go and then wash it and get it all wet and have to style it myself. I mean, the whole point is... You know, she styles it at the end, blow dries it, curls it, floofs it up. Yeah, um, but what's the point of that as well? I mean, are you only getting your hair done right before in a big event? Well, no, but I mean, if you get your hair done in the morning, you might as well have it look good the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, guess. I don't know. And, and you know, they put the whole drape on you and, you know, the, I don't know where yeah. how all that hair is getting. Uh, it you. always finds its way, no matter what, in the collar, everything. Well, maybe women's hair is different because it's longer. Yeah, I think maybe since you're getting it so short you've got little teeny tiny pieces of hair that are going places yeah yeah no anyways um terribly uncomfortable can't stand it but got a haircut today that was good it's a long time coming i don't like getting haircuts i don't like the uh, some people like talking to their barber i don't like it i don't like that little <laughs> chit chat forced conversation i go to this I th i'm pretty sure they're armenian armenian barbers they they talk a different language uh, they don't talk to you they just do they do a great haircut real quick real fast Nice hot towel, and then they get you out of there. And that's my favorite part about it. And even then, I don't really like going, but that's like best case scenario. Worst case is when they start try starting a conversation and learn about you. And it's like, I know you don't care. I don't really care about what's going on with you in this 10-minute interaction. Sometimes. Some some people have great relationships with their hairdressers, and they've known them for years and years and years. And See, that's, like, that's, I understand that. Then it's like a friendship. It's built up over time. But, it, like, you go to Supercuts, and the Supercuts lady's, like, trying to tell you about her her second husband and the way <laughs> that uh he stole the kids away or something it's like i'm just cut my hair please well let's see why you don't go to supercuts but like i mean mila i've gone to her for years now and i mean she comes to like our halloween parties and events and so yeah kind of well you know <laughs> i guess just depending on the situation another one of those things that is different between the sexes anyways uh let's get into it okay let's go let's uh, go <laughs> um updates on cases well, so um, our, actually, I guess it wasn't our last episode, but we did a special episode on Valentine's Day. And since that, there's been an update on a new Valentine's Day case. Um, and it was a case that was actually filed on Valentine's Day. Nice. And yeah, yeah, I think they planned this because it is a um, suit against Tinder and Hinge, the two dating apps. Yeah, those are big. Yeah. So these are definitely post my time. Um, so I don't know. So maybe, you know, some more details about these that will make help make this case make sense. Anyway, the lawsuit is saying that they are designed to be addictive um, and that they say that they are, quote, designed to be deleted. So what they're advertising is that the whole purpose of these apps is to meet somebody, fall madly in love, and then you don't need the app anymore and you go off and you live your life happily ever after. Yeah. But what they're saying is that actually they're super addictive and that they intentionally designed these platforms with addictive game-like design features, um, locking people into a pay-to-play loop, 
um, and that, you know, I guess I, what, what I didn't understand was that I think that there is, a, you can use it to some level for free, but then you can actually subscribe mm-hmm. and it's much more unlimited. There's a limited, I guess with, if it's free, there's a limited number of likes you can receive or give that sort of thing. Um, but then they keep, they also have in-app purchases and I don't know exactly what that would be, but it sounds almost game-like. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm very much in a happy relationship, so I haven't been on Tinder in a while. But um, in my college days, I did use t- Tinder quite a bit. Everyone does. It's just like the easiest thing. And, it, yeah. and it's um, it's just simple, right? You If you don't like someone, you swipe left. If you like someone, you swipe right. And, and then immediately in milliseconds, you get to see a new person that there's all these possibilities, opportunities with. And, and so I think that's a very addicting feature of it. Um, with the pay-to-play aspect... It hasn't always been like this, but I remember there's a limited amount of swipes where you can do like 50 swipes a day or something like that. And so people that wanted to keep, you know, that you don't get any matches or you don't get the right matches that you're looking for and you want to keep swiping, you have to pay that extra fee. And then they also added this like um, gold membership or or gold, something like that, where it would tell you, oh, Oh, Tinder gold, Tinder gold. Yeah, you have you have 10 people that like you. Um, If you want to see exactly who they are and swipe on them right now, then you can pay this additional fee. Uh, Or if you want a chance, there you have that. It's coming back to me now. There's like this raffle thing too, where even if you didn't pay. See, game like it sounds like. Well, it was like once a day, it would give you four options and it would be like profiles that were blurred out and it would tell you one of these people swiped right onto you. One of these people <laughs> like you. Okay, I'm seeing this And then now. you'd have to click it. And sometimes it'd be like, nice, you got a match. Other times it'd be like, oh, nope. And then- Not this one. Not this one, yeah. But do you have to pay to see another one then? Uh, or you can just pay to see all your matches. Oh, so you see, even have okay. To play this is making a lot of sense to me. It's a good thing I'm, I'm asking you about this. Yeah, well, I, so I will say too, is that I think these are obvious game features. But also like the whole idea where it's like uh, you download it, it's an app to be deleted. It's intended to be deleted and meet significant other, which I have, I know people and from some of my friends in college have met their significant others over Tinder. Um, but I actually did a study on this in college in my communication class wow. about how the increase in options and opportunity through these dating apps where it just takes one swipe to see another potential mate, a potential candidate uh, actually lowers your um, satisfaction level in your current relationships and, and increases your, when you are in a relationship, increases your kind of like, you're thinking out of it where it's like, well, what are, what are, what other opportunities are there for me? Um, because I mean, you think back in the day where it's like set up marriages or you have to court someone for like 16 months, even to, to get <laughs> married or even start the, start the ball rolling. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sunk costs there, but with this, these Tinder profiles and apps and current day dating, there's the sunk cost is incredibly low. But so why would you be looking at it if you're in a relationship anyway? So how it's, would that affect your relationship? It's not looking at it. It's knowing how available oh, there are, like okay. how many options are available at all times makes it so when you are in a relationship, your your satisfaction level in that relationship isn't as high or like the bar is so much higher because you're thinking in your head, wow, at my fingertips, there could be hundreds of other candidates. And especially like if your partner pisses you off and, oh, you know, she just 
farted and now I'm going to go. I mean, yeah. I could just easily look up somebody else or you get into a spat. Of, you know, you know that there's like, yeah, like at your fingertips, hundreds of hundreds and thousands. You just download an app. You don't even have to go out to a bar. You don't have to go into any awkward social situation. You just download an app and boom, you're looking at all these other options. And yeah. it, because there's this whole idea that these apps make dating life easier and more yeah. comfortable and lead to, if I see all of the options, then I'm going to get the best option yeah. and I'm going to be the happiest because I have all these options. But it's just, it doesn't actually work that way. So how about Hinge? Did you ever do that one? Yeah, Hinge. So there's Hinge and Bumble. I didn't do Hinge. Bumble was like their unique thing was like the girls had to message the guys first uh-huh. because there's always a trend of like the, you, you'll get a match and, and girls never message first. They never do. And then the guys will message and the girls complain. Oh, they just say, hey, like I want more yeah. effort. But then you go to Bumble and the girls message and they only say, hey, as well. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones complaining about it. But then they always say, say hey, with well, six wise. Yeah, well, they, they want to be equal rights. And they can, they can be the one saying, hey. Yeah, it's a little hypocritical if you don't ask me. But <laughs> Hinge, I think, is intended. Tinder's like more hookups and Hinge is supposed to be a little bit more relationship. Okay. Um, so I think there's like more customization on profiles. You can add more information. I never used Hinged, but um, some of Christina's friends have used Hinge. And I think they prefer just because, again, it's a little bit more official, less hookup Yeah, I guess I, the impression that I had with Tinder was that it was for like a hookup one, one night, night kind stand, of thing, yeah, or like, yeah. what are you doing right now? I'll come over Pretty kind much, of thing, yeah. as opposed to, yeah, the, like relationship. So, well, so this suit was filed. We'll see what happens. But they're saying, you know, that, that the whole point is that, that it shouldn't be addictive because it should be something that you use, you know, you, your intent going in is to find a relationship and to delete the app. But in fact, they're trying to set it up so that you don't. And it sounds like, you know, what you said um, also would would kind of support that. Yeah. I mean, I think a big part of it is not necessarily their fault. It's just what happens when there is this type of options. Uh, But when you have it, if you have push notifications on, which most people do because they'll tell you if you got a match or if um, you you get a message or something, it'll message you or pop up like frequently during the day where it's like, hey, someone just swiped right on you. Like, we don't know. (laughs) We don't know who it is. It could be anyone. But you should come check out the app. And, and, and I'm sure even a lot of those times no one actually swipes right on you. But it's just like they tell you and they remind you and they want yeah. you always coming back. Well, that sounds pretty addictive. Yeah. 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 I mean, but I mean, I, it's like a lot of apps do that. Every app does that. Maybe Tinder, Tinder hinged to it worse. Well, but but so one of the, their allegations or their claims is under the false advertising. So again, if you're advertising that uh, it's yeah. something that's temporary, um, as opposed to if you're just saying, yeah, come get addicted to my game, it's addictive, you're going to play it for the rest of your life. Yeah, and, and kind of a separate question or like concern I have is like this false advertisement where it's a known thing, like you can't falsely advertise. But I've seen a lot of advertisements out there, especially ones that aren't as well monitored. Like if you're going on national TV, okay, that you can't be fucking around there. But there's a lot of like YouTube ads or Twitter ads that just blatantly are lying and you can tell that they're lying. But because, but it's also like a very sketchy ad where, you know, it's probably just like a few guys in the back of a basement just (laughs) making it. Well, and so maybe they think that even if there's a lawsuit, the person's not going to collect or, and then some of these, you know, kind of fly by night companies, I mean, they'll just shut down and then they, you know, reform a new corporation the next day with a different name and they're hard to track down on that. So, yeah. So they're saying that they're falsely advertising, saying that they're kind of like a one-stop shop for relationships. Once you get in one, then you, you, you get to delete it and there's no reason for you to uh, come back and we don't want you to come back 
but realistically, they do want you to come back. Right. I mean, I guess Hinge's motto is, and that's and is in quotes, designed to be deleted. They that's say, a great fucking motto. That's that's like <laughs> 10 out of 10 marketing, right? Like designed to be deleted. It even just rolls off the tongue. It does. Wow. It's, it's impressive. Yeah. But it's apparently not true. Yeah. It's it's apparently false advertising. So we'll see what comes of the lawsuit. But it's interesting and it just kind of flows into the other cases with all of the social, you know, social media lawsuits about how addictive yeah. they are. And again, those are though are targeting, you know, teens and young adults. Um, but I mean, if it's you can addict adults yeah. unless you say that you're not trying to do that and you say that that's not the point so that's kind of kind of the the differentiation i think yeah i wonder what it's what it's like to for the older generation that does get into those apps because i can imagine if you're 40 50 you know there's 60 age settings in there too um you're in that age range and like when you were younger it was you couldn't right like you had to hang out by the landline if you wanted to hope that your significant other would call or your crush would call you guys had promise rings before any, you know, even going to first base, even the smooch on the cheek. And it was like, you got to give me a promise ring. Yeah, first, no, well, that must have been way before me. <laughs> <laughs> but now, now it's like Tinder and it's, you know, you match. And you just, what are you doing? Boom. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Just like that. That's all you need. No promise ring. No, no court, courtship, courting. Oh, uh, well, I think times have changed. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting one. Um, I, I wonder if, so if they're successful, I'm assuming they'll probably just take out some of the gamification features. It's not like they're going to have to like close down, maybe pay some fees. Cars. Well, or, or perhaps just change their marketing. And so not say we're not addictive and just go, just stay addictive, but yeah. not, not deny it. Right. Mm, and so, um, you know, because again, I mean, a lot of these things are addictive, but if you're, I mean, like gambling is addictive, smoking is addictive, alcohol is addictive, but if you're over 18 or 21, depending on, you know, what the issue is, um, you can choose to use an addictive substance. You can choose to become addicted. That's, and it tells that's you, up it tells to you. you. It says this right. is an addictive substance. But, but yeah, in recent years, they've had to. I mean, back in the day, cigarettes didn't and alcohol didn't. Well, they cured cancer so. back in the day. I don't know what happened to that <laughs> shit. Bring back the old cigarettes. Those are good old days. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, um, yeah, keep us updated on that. What, what other updates you have? So, um, actually, there is a current trial, one of the Johnson & Johnson talc trials going on. And it's kind of interesting because um, it's an evidentiary issue. And they're talking about whether or not these ads that J&J put out back in the day could come into evidence. And there's all of these advertisements where they were really pitching it as, you know, as being clean and sanitary and safe. Um, and then in the 70s, they started pushing it for women with more adult themes and wanting you to use it on your genitals. And basically, you're dirty if you don't use this. Um, and so the, you know, you're unattractive, all of this. So it, so the plaintiffs had wanted to put this evidence into the trial. And the defense was arguing, no, this evidence shouldn't come in because there's no indication that the plaintiff in this case, um, and it's the, the husband of, of a woman who passed away after using baby powder for 50 years. Um, they're saying there's no evidence that, um, that this woman ever saw these ads or that they affected her, and which is a good, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the point here is that uh, oftentimes these cases are bifurcated. And what that means is divided into two. Okay, um, and they will put the initial, the liability case, and and regular damages in one trial, 
And then the punitive damages aspect comes into a second trial. Mm -hmm. And what the judge said is, well, you know, to the defendants, you didn't ask for two trials. And that evidence is relevant to the punitive aspect of Mm. what J&J did. Um, I can tell the jury not to pay attention to that in the context of the liability and the compensatory. But I mean, you know, that's one of those, the horse is out of the barn, they've heard it. Um, So this is going to be a little bit of a a messy trial, I think. Um, But I thought it was just interesting, you know, how these things, how the the evidence comes in, depending on how the trials are set up. Yeah. Um, And and, and I think it's very, you know, it's inflammatory, these, um, especially when, when the jury hears about the fact that there's as asbestos and this talc of the carcinogen and and then they see these ads where they're just touting it as Blatantly yeah as the, you know this it's an incredibly you know healthy and clean and pure product mm-hmm. um, and yet it's it's uh, causing cancer well that that's a great argument too is that there's no proof that this individual saw the ads which I mean if they should have been using the product for 50 years the odds are she probably did but regardless it, it's it's a good argument and it, and it kind of brings up this this I don't know idea or problem but with a lot of these mass torts where you know, the class action lawsuits you kind of think of like very big picture where it's like okay this company did this and their products doing this but when you really go into a little bit more narrow situation where yes this company did these things and yes they advertised it badly but in this specific case did that uh, did the client did the defendant or did the sorry the plaintiff actually see these advertisements were they uh, you know which how much of it is relevant to this small aspect of the bigger picture right exactly and i mean and it's really and if she hadn't seen these these uh, advertisements then it wouldn't be relevant to her specific case exactly. but in this bigger punitive damage picture it is relevant yeah, and so yeah. that just goes to the defendants really should have asked to divide it up and they know that i mean they know that these arguments are being made this evidence is being pushed in these cases because it's so inflammatory and so you know infuriating to yeah. jurors and it's the kind of thing that gets them awarding these huge damages to to really slam them. Um, But but yeah, so so, so this case actually, um, the specific details on this one, um, well, she used it for, like I said, 50 years. So it was a good long time and she probably did see some of these ads. Um, But she used it as a deodorant, um, antiperspirant, used it in her underwear and put it even in her diaphragm. I mean, all of these things, these are uses that that J&J was encouraging women to do. Um, And so that's a lot, you know, 50 years um, on on a daily basis. Um, She ended up being diagnosed with peritoneal carcinoma. Um, and that's a really rare, rare cancer. Um, and so, you know, again, it's not something, you know, like lung cancer. You yeah. know? I mean, it's very, very rare. And it's in this area where she's been putting this talc for 50 years. So I think it's a really strong case that's a on the really facts. strong case straight off the bat. I mean, this consistent long-term usage with the disease being something that's very unique and right, right. I mean, that's kind of by the book right there, right? Yeah. So it's a really strong case um, on on the specific facts. Yeah. Um, and again, over the period of fifty years, I mean, why did she use it? I mean, there was some something that oh, led her to believe yeah. that she should be using. She it. coincidentally has been using it the exact way that they've been advertising it for the last fifty years. <laughs> yeah. well, I don't know if she saw the ads, but 
that something is kind of lining up here. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, and unfortunately she passed away in 2019, but the case is being brought on behalf of her husband. So, you know, again, this may be another one with a big verdict, um, you know, and we'll, and, and of course it's going to be one that's hard fought and appealed, yeah. I'm sure. So why don't the defendants every time ask for separate cases for punitive and like this individual one where it's uh, individual damages, because it seems like most of the time there, there, there's, I can't imagine a situation that it would make more sense for them, for them to not only have an individual case where you can put a face to the damages, but then also have this punitive argument where you're putting like the full big picture out. Like you're getting, as a plaintiff, you're getting the best of both worlds. You show them the big picture and this very small specific case with a face behind it. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't. I mean, it's, it, it usually they do fight really usually hard for do. it. They absolutely do. And so one of the arguments against that is that, it, you know, it's more efficient and time, you know, to, to to do it all in one trial, but at the same time, it can really, you know, mix up the issues um, and be problematic. I mean, the only thing I could think is if they were like super confident in a particular case and they're like, there's no way there's going to be punitive damages um, in this case. That's Let's just, just knock the whole thing It seems out. reckless or, at that point. Yeah. I mean, they have been successful in some of the cases and had defense verdicts. But again, looking at the facts of this case, it sounds, and, and I don't know all of the details, but from what's been reported, it sounds like a pretty strong case um, and a potential for pretty significant punitive damages. So it sounds, and and the judge actually specifically um, said, I mean, like, I don't know why you did it. I've never done (laughs) a trial. He said, I've never done a trial like this where the parties agreed to do one trial on punitive damages. Because what I could have done is I could have made the ruling that I made. And then I could have said, don't introduce the ads during the liability phase. But y'all agreed, not me. That's a quote. But yeah. y'all agreed, not me. So apparently they did agree. We don't know what went on yeah. behind closed doors there. Um, but the judge was kind of saying, well, you're an idiot for doing it this yeah. way. I like I like his stance on that. Where he's just like, you guys made the bed. You shit in it. Now you roll yeah. around in it. Like, this is this is your thing. Y'all shit the bed. And that's what you shit the bed, lie in it. Right? I mean, yeah. That's kind of what he's saying. So anyway, it was just, it was kind of, um, you know, I mean, I read all of these articles every week. And this one just just kind of jumped out to me that, I, you know, again, I like the judge just saying, what the heck? Uh, and I like it too, where he's like, if you really want, I can tell the jury not to, you know, apply it to this specific situation or try to only apply it to this side of the case. But I'm sure when he's saying that, he's like, come on, guys, like, it's not going to make a <laughs> fucking difference. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, telling juries to ignore things doesn't do not. I no. mean, it really, I mean, sometimes you don't even want that because it just highlights it. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing about it, if, if you tell somebody not to think about a white bear, all they can think about is a white bear. And if yeah. you tell somebody, you know, not to think about the ads all they're gonna think about is hey the guys ads. we're getting to the punitive part here or we're in the liability <laughs> part do not think about the ads that are specifically connected to the punitive do not think about the ad that told the person to use it in this way that just so happened the liability case yeah the ads that said how safe and sanitary yeah. and clean and all of that yeah so kind of kind of fun uh, no i mean that is good j and j i mean they fucking deserve it at this point come on like this talk <laughs> yes, situation we are not fans of j and j we'll just admit uh, that no. Right not here at all. Now. And well, with this towel case with how long it's been going oh, on and how clear cut it's been that they know, knowingly did a lot of this and a lot of this damages has, could easily have been prevented if they just took it off the shelves at an earlier time. And I'm glad to see that they're kind of shitting the sheets a little bit when it comes to the day in court. And now everything's coming out in, in, a, in a way that is to the benefit of the defense and, and for the jury to really see not only the big picture, but how the big picture can affect an individual. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely. And, you know, and we still, they're still uh, working on this third bankruptcy attempt in the state of Texas now, we expect. So, you know, again, they're, they're, they're pretty despicable. They're all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're trying to get out of it any way they can. Yeah. Um, what other what other updates? Well, so we talked um, quite a bit about the troubled teen industry and some of those lawsuits. And there has been another lawsuit filed. Um, this one is in Alabama against an Alabama youth center called Laurel Oaks Behavioral Health Center. And this one, very sad. It's actually an eight-year-old boy. I mean, it's not even a teen. Yeah. This is like... Um, I mean, an eight-year-old boy who was sexually assaulted by his roommate at this facility. Um, and there's a, a lot of kind of confounding aspects to this. Um, but there, I mean, it wasn't just a fluke that this happened. Um, there had been two prior sex assault um, uh, situations at the same facility. Um, and they had assured the parents that this boy was going to be in a room on his own and monitored 24 seven, wow. except for when he was in the bathroom. And instead they put him into a, a situation where his roommate had actually assaulted, well, actually had assaulted, assaulted him twice, um, and had a history of sexual assault. And they, and, and this is an eight year old boy and they didn't say the age of the roommate, um, but, you know, however old the person is, they knew that he had this propensity um, and they did not supervise. And so this young boy was sexually assaulted. And, you know, and again, you're taking kids and you're putting them in, they already have issues going on or they wouldn't be here. Um, you know, and what they need is, I mean, they, they need, uh, you know, medical, psychiatric, psychological care and protection. And they're putting them in these environments where they are not getting better. They're getting worse. Well, not only that, it's not like they just obliviously did. It. Like they know exactly what they should be doing or roughly what they should be doing, which is putting him in a room by himself with supervision and making sure none of nothing like this happens. But instead of doing what they said that they would do, what they promised the parents and what the parents are paying the money to do, they did the complete opposite of it. Well, again, and it's going to they're going to make a lot more money if they can cram more people. And, you know, they don't want to have to supervise one person 24 seven. It's it's cheaper. Prioritizing and then, profits. Exactly. Prioritizing profits over the safety of the youth. And then on top of that, what happens oftentimes is that then, you know, these teens or children complain about their treatment and they are completely gaslit that, you know, they're saying, oh, no, no, they're lying. That's not true. Um, well, of course they're lying. They're troubled. They have issues. Haven't they lied before to you? Isn't one of the issue, you know, reasons that they're here is their mis misbehavior and yeah. they're just you know. trying to get out. That's uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, and a lot of times that's why these things, you know, go on for as long as they do. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just, it's, it's really sad, but another lawsuit has been filed and, and I expect that now that more light is being shed on this whole topic, we are going to see, you know, more and more, more cases filed out there and more and more parents cognizant of these issues and believing the kids, yeah. um, you know, so, so, you know, and again, this was, was, uh, an issue that Paris Hilton, um, is, is yeah. really a big advocate for, um, because she did go through, um, the troubled teen industry and is still traumatized over her treatment, um, mm. at, at, at several, I think three different facilities. Yeah. I mean, I, we saw this too, with like the boy scout cases where, mm. where these, these type of situations, they just get brushed under the rug quite often. And it's even more difficult because it's incredibly difficult for the, for the victims to come out and say anything. But once, you know, one person does, does come out and say something, usually it's followed by, by a lot more. It's also interesting to me that all these places, are named after like f floral woods, <laughs> like sunny oaks or like sunny paradise, and uh -huh. like all of these like really nice aesthetic uh, nature, beautiful, yeah, yeah, which 
I mean, at this point, it would be a red flag to me. It's like, <laughs> look, we know this is going to be a tough time for our kid. Okay, let's not try to like put on, put a put a pig in like a princess outfit. Like this <laughs> but is the setting's nice. They're going to be abused, but they have a pretty view out their window. Yeah. Oh wait, they don't have windows. They're bars. You know. <laughs> yeah. Mean, yeah. Well, and I think that the part of that is that you know these facilities usually are you know outside of the city. They're out in you know these places that for ones that they escape. They <laughs> they've got a long way to go to civilization. Yeah. And, um, and, and again, it's going to be cheaper. They're, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Real estate cheaper. Uh, and so, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, so, and I assume there are some trees in a, you know, pond here or there to, to uh, name it after. I think all, both of these situations too, or, or not both these situations, but, but this and like the private prison industry, like I think both are kind of in this area where they're, they're private industries that are intended at their businesses. Which they shouldn't be businesses. Like the services that they're providing shouldn't be for profit. But both of them are. And because of that, a lot of things are overlooked. A lot of corners are cut. And uh, a lot of a lot of shady shit goes down. Well, when you make it for profit, I mean, your interest is going to be to keep the costs as low as possible, which yeah. means you know staffing costs, um, security costs, uh, you know everything. It's... Which these services shouldn't be focused on. Exactly, like exactly. That. You know, we we don't live in a utopian society. What? So, <laughs> you know, it's frustrating. These Not yet. Are, it'll Not never yet. change. It'll never change. <laughs> Prisons will never not be private. Anyways, anyways, um, that's shitty. I, I think there's just there's going to be more cases like that coming out, um, and I think it's it's good that it does come out. I think the more light that's shed on it, it leads to um, hopefully a reduction in it. I think that's why Paris Hilton really you know stood up and yeah. she was she's been kind of uh, the main front lines fighter for this whole cause. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and hopefully the changes will be made and regulations um, and, and and children kept safer. Mm-hmm. What else you got for us? Um, okay, so social media addiction, MDL. Um, we have a date for the first Bellwether trial. That will be in, on October 14th of 2025, um, which sounds a little ways away. However, um, it's relatively quick for this type of a litigation and getting um, yeah. an actual trial date set. Um, and we've talked a little bit before about how these Bellwether cases get chosen, um, and it can vary a bit from case to case. Um, in this situation, well, there's there's two different pools um, the judges divide them into. And so there are the cases, the individual cases brought by parents for injuries to their children, and then the cases brought by school districts um, for the damages they've incurred in having to deal with the situation <clears throat> within the school districts. And so what the judge is going to do is they want to put a dozen cases into each of those pools, and that will be plaintiffs choose six, defendants choose six in each of those pools. And then that discovery will start on those cases, and then the judge will determine the um, the schedule as far as which cases go first. And always in these discovery pools, uh, cases you know cases here and there drop out. Yeah, uh, I heard somewhere. I thought I saw an article that New York was added onto the list of states that have actually sued the, the social media companies as well. Um, yeah, which, they probably have. Yeah, uh, yeah, just added to the list. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's. Interesting because you touched on this how October 2025 sounds very far away. We just got into 2024. Right. Um, but 
that is relatively fast for these types of cases. And the amount of legwork on the back end for this type of stuff has to be insane, right? I mean, just in those 12 cases, all of the discovery for all of that, all the moving pieces and different law firms coming into play and yeah. the army of lawyers these social media companies have. Well, and so and so, what happened initially after the whole MDL was consolidated was there were all these motions flying around about these cases can't go forward. They all need to get dismissed because this isn't even a claim. And so they've fought those um, at the state and the MDL level, and both they're moving forward in both. But now what happens is when you pick these individual cases, you actually have to go and you have to do the discovery. Because like we just talked about, you have to talk about this specific case, not just yeah. how atrocious, you know, what they're doing is, which, but, but, but what happened to this individual person? Mm-hmm. And is this really what caused their eating disorder, their suicide attempt, their, sui- their death? you know, depending on the specific facts, because then they get to depose the family members, you know, teachers, what else was going on in the kid's life? How often did the child really use social media? So it's very specific medical doctors, yeah. uh, you know, and that's a lot of, you know, getting all of those scheduled and the depositions, and then they'll probably file motions in the individual cases about restricting mm-hmm. um, certain experts, certain witnesses, what can and can't go in. I mean, there's a lot, even just once you pick the case to yeah, get to just trial. individual case. So, what is it like being chosen for these bellwethers? Because I imagine for the for the clients or the defendants or for the sorry for the plaintiffs, it has to be an incredibly stressful experience, right? Because I mean, you're in a pool of thousands and thousands of of plaintiffs. And your case is one of 12 that are being used to represent kind of the bigger picture here. And because of that, both sides are going to get as nitty gritty as they possibly can. Yeah. Well, that, so that's interesting. And what, what what you do, I mean, this has come up in, in cases that I've been involved in where they are looking for bellwether cases. And so, you know, each attorney goes through and they say, okay, this is a really, really strong case for, you know, whatever reasons. And you talk with lead counsel. Um, but ultimately, you know, you figure out if it, it really truly is a case that meets all the criteria to be a bellwether. But then you have to talk to the client. You have to say, is this something you want to do or you don't want to do? And there are, there's two groups of people for sure. I mean, there are a lot of people who say the only reason I want to be in this type of case is that I will never have to go to trial, that I don't want to have to get up and tell my story. But then there are other people who, I mean, they, day one, they're like, I want to go to trial. Um, And, and I think in this kind of case, I mean, I, you know, they were having um, all of the, the congressional testimony and and there were parents standing there. I don't know if you saw this on the news with photographs of their children held up. I mean, it just gives me chills to think about it. But there are some people, and, and especially in these situations where somebody's lost a child, um, I mean, the child is, is, is gone and the parents are completely devastated, but they are so angry yeah. and they they want to protect other children. And, uh, and in these kind of cases, I mean, I see this happening more than I do say in a, you know, a, an artificial hip case, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. where they're like, well, this really sucked, but I don't want to have to mess up my life. I mean, these parents' lives are already destroyed. Yeah. And, you know, being able to be in in, in a court um, or at a hearing and to talk about just how horrible this has been really is is very healing for them. Mm-hmm. So um, so so that's key too. You need to to find people who can withstand it who, and who want to do that. Yeah. yeah no, I, I mean, I can imagine that being an incredibly difficult experience. But but like you said, there are two different camps of people where it makes complete, complete sense for them to want to get into to, uh, a case like this because most of the time you don't have to go to court. Most of the time, right. you know, you kind of have these boxes and you fill 
fill it, fit into these categories. Yeah. Into these I levels. never even a deposition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but then on the other end, if you are chosen and you're looking to get into this and you're willing to speak out, it's not just you. You talked about these teachers being brought in, the psychiatrists, this, the staff. I mean, it is like every crevice of some of these people's lives being shown and, and all for, you know, obviously the reason of how it impacted their lives, but you have to see the big picture to see how nearly it was impacted. Well, absolutely. But then you also have to realize that what the defense counsel is going to do, their focus is going to be on saying you're a crappy parent, (sighs) right? I mean, how devastating could, I mean, again, I just get chills thinking about this, but they're, they're going to say, you know, you weren't supervising your child. You didn't know what was going on. You know, you should have done this. You should have done that. Um, and, And the kid committed suicide. Well, it's not, it's not because of us. It's because, you know, this or that, or they were bullied at school and, you know, and so they're going to be attacking. And that I think would be, you know, very, very, very devastating, especially because just as a parent, I mean, there's just, I mean, we all know that we made mistakes and no parent's perfect, um, you know, but whatever little mistakes they may have made, I mean, are going to seem huge in this context yeah. to them, even probably more so than to anybody else. So I think it would be a really hard one. Um but that being said, I think there are parents who are absolutely feel like that, like they are standing up for their child, mm-hmm. um, and and they're making sense, um, or you know somehow um, making things better for other children, preventing yeah, yeah. other children from dying. That makes sense. I imagine it's a very fine line that the defense has to walk when doing those type of cross examinations, yeah, because I mean it is such a vulnerable topic. And the jury, I mean, the jury in general, I would imagine, is not just on big business's side. Like, they're they kind of fighting an uphill battle as defense already. Well, it depends. I mean, you know, some of the jurors, you, you know, you, you get some jurors who you... <laughs> you think, yeah, I mean, maybe some yeah, we're gonna older lean, generation. You're going to lean, yeah, yeah, they're going to lean different directions. Yeah. But, but I think you, you do. You have to be very, very careful about, you know, um, calling them out without attacking them too much. Because if you piss the jury off... Oh, yeah, that's what that's I would imagine. That's not going to be good. Yeah, I mean... So Someone already feels bad for the parent, and then they see them getting ripped getting apart, beat up on the stand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that's one of those things where you know, good defense attorneys. I mean, that's a real skill yeah. of being able to say you're an asshole, but say it really nicely yeah. <laughs> with a smile on your face. And I'm so sorry for your loss, but it's your fault. I can imagine. Uh, so, so the info and details of these bellwether cases, is that going to be public um, right away or is that... Is well, not that... right away. Right now, the process is just both sides um, going, starting this initial process of culling through um, and and talking to all of the other attorneys. Well, which cases do you think, you know, which cases do you have? Looking at all of the options, um, both sides are doing this and yeah. the defense is looking at them saying, which are the crappiest cases do we want to... Um, pick. And then what happens sometimes, and I've seen this happen in litigations I've been involved in, you know, again, some attorneys file cases that aren't really strong. Defense picks that as a bellwether. And the only way to get rid of it is to dismiss the case. Yeah. And then you have to convince the client who whatever law firm has said, hey, you've got a case. Well, shit, you didn't have a case after all. And we yeah. have to dismiss it because otherwise you're going to ruin it for everybody. I remember you telling me <gasps> that some of the bigger law firms have to go to the little guys and be like, yo, what the hell is this? We told you not to put in the yeah. bad ones yet. Yeah. And now here we are. Here we are. And now you have to fucking own up 
up, clean up your mistake and go to the client and tell them. Yeah. Because exactly. everyone's writing on it too. I mean, there's like hundreds of millions of dollars of law firms across the entire country. You you try to stand strong and shit in the, you know, shit the case a little bit. Then next time you go to one of the big AAJs, <laughs> you're a bad guy. You're a bad guy. You're getting booed out of the room. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I am really curious about which cases they're going to choose here. And I think, um, you know, hopefully you can update us on, on those cases because with this specifically, I think a lot of people look at the social media cases and they don't really understand it. They don't understand why there is a case, what the issue is that, uh, these companies did anything wrong. And a lot of people I think recognize that it's not healthy and what's happening isn't great for, for society or for younger generation, but they don't see that it's actually illegal and that, and some of the, the serious damages on the individual basis. Um, yeah. So hopefully when these, these bellwether cases are chosen, you can tell us about, you know, some of the more specifics there. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and of course, we, I think we've done two episodes previously where we really do, you know, dove into the details on these cases. Um, so if it is a topic of interest, we will put links in the show notes mm-hmm. um, for those two episodes. I don't recall which ones they are, but um, but again, it's I mean it's a big issue, and it's specifically you know children and young adults um, and the addictive qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we are kind of coming to like the ending part of it. We still got a little bit of time though. But I, I was oh, which which do you want to go on to cases or handling interesting cases? Is there anything you wanted to, to kind of give extra time to? Um, well. Yeah, one more um, update, um, because we've talked a lot about Camp Lejeune. And so there is an issue that's come up recently that, that I think is of particular interest. And that is whether or not these cases get to go to a jury trial as opposed to a bench trial, which is basically a judge mm-hmm. um, deciding it. And um, recently, uh, the court said, no, they're not going to get jury trials. It will be bench trial only. And that's specifically because the cases are against the United States. Yeah. And generally speaking, you don't have a right to a jury trial unless a statute specifically um, allows that. And the issue was whether this Camp Lejeune Justice Act specifically allowed for jury trial. And so what's happened is that all of these cases were filed as administrative claims. And there's about 165,000 um, administrative claims. Um, when you file an administrative claim, um, if it if it gets denied or it doesn't get addressed within six months, then you have the right to sue. Mm-hmm. And administrative claims are basically that always, the six months always runs and you do have the right to sue. And so 1,500 of these, they have actually filed the lawsuit as opposed to saying, no, we're going to go ahead and, and, and uh, resolve it um, <clears throat> the, through the administrative process. So there's 1,500 cases out there. The court says, no, you don't have a right to jury trial. And what's happened is they don't want to delay the whole process by, um, by appealing. So there are two plaintiffs who are appealing, arguing that, yes, um, the terms, I mean, they, they kind of addressed it in the Camp Lejeune Act saying, uh, but they didn't specifically say you do have the right to a jury trial. But what they said was that nothing in here would take away a right to a jury trial. Mm. So there's arguments about whether that means for third parties. Um, anyway, that um, is kind of a big issue because people feel strongly that they want um, a jury of their peers yeah. to hear their story as opposed to just a judge. Yeah. It's much more, you know, logical. And <laughs> well, part of the government 
kind of, right? Part of one of the governmental branches. Oh, yeah. Legislative. Yes, or judicial, yes. Which, I mean, the government, whether or not it's not that specific arm, the government is at fault here. So I could kind of see that. Well, and the government said they're at fault, basically. It's just, you know, how much are the claims going to be paid individually? So anyway, that's um, pending. um, But the, the, the process as a whole is still moving forward. Let's get us moving forward. So, and, and it, I'm assuming that it's the plaintiffs that want the jury. Yes. Jury of their peers. Um, assuming because, I mean, do you kind of get to pull at heartstrings a little bit more yeah. and it's better for, for the case as a whole um, on their side. And then two of the plaintiffs are kind of forking off here, taking one for the team, yeah. trying to tackle <laughs> That's a good this, way to say it. Right? I mean, they're trying to tackle this problem because they know that it is something worth addressing. But at the same time, they're really trying to push out these settlements as quickly as possible. And they've been on pace for pretty well so far. Um, but it's it's something you got to do. Yeah. And, and presumably these are very strong cases where they think that the awards are going to be yeah. higher if they have a, a jury to uh, to hear the case. Well, I think regardless, the Camp Lejeunes have been moving pretty speedy. It's unfortunate that there is this, this speed bump coming and um, I mean, I don't know. I, I just I see where they're coming from, like jury of your peers. I feel like that's even anyone that hasn't like fully read through the Constitution. Uh, you, that's as a saying, you know, you know, I want a jury of my peers to, to judge me and innocent until proven guilty. And uh, especially when the issue at hand is because of a governmental entity. Do you want? Mm-hmm. Well, and they're admitting that yeah. yes, they, we did expose all of these people to this horrible. Leave it to another governmental entity, separate branch, sure, but another <laughs> governmental entity to decide. We trust the government. Uh, yeah, for yeah. sure. We definitely trust. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyways, uh, what, what else do you want to go? Okay. Into? Well, um, so on cases we're handling, we're not specifically addressing one of the big MDLs, but in general. Well, actually, um, uh, I guess this is an MDL. Um, There is an MDL right now um, against Uber, and this is for failure to prevent driver sex assaults. Um, and this is uh, relatively new, but they're saying that um, Uber has known for um, nearly a decade that its drivers were preying on and sexually assaulting passengers, but they failed to do anything to try to um, to 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 provide safety. At the same time, they're advertising that it's very safe for women yeah. to use Uber, um, and that there are certain things that they could have done better that they have decided not to do. Again, prioritizing profits um, over over safety. Yeah. Uh, did you see the most recent um, TV show? I forgot what it was called, but it's about Uber and it's about their startup and how they kind of became obviously the massive conglomerate that they are and yeah, really started this entire trend. In the first episode, one of the, it seems like it's kind of foreshadowing what the entire series is going to be about. But the first episode, he's talking about adding a safety charge. He's like, well, what are we going to do? It's not like we, we can't do any more background checks. We've done everything we can do to like kind of figure out who's driving these cars, and we can't really promise safety. And he's like, no, 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 no. Well, you don't understand. We charge more and say that it's a safety charge. <laughs> but you don't give anything for it? Well, I mean, they feel safer if you see a safety charge. Everyone, why wouldn't you choose a safety charge? Everyone's going to choose a safety charge. Uh, but yeah, pretty much they're not going to do anything extra on it. But it was a way because they were getting so many complaints that people weren't feeling safe, that they didn't yeah. know who was driving them. And by adding in that, oh, do you want to pay extra for, for the safety of it? 
it almost takes that question away where it's like, oh, well, they if they're charging me, then they clearly thought about it. Clearly, this is like not just an unnecessary charge. What business would do that? Well, so wait a minute. Do you have the option of the safety charge so that you either get a safe driver or you take your chances? Or... I think it was something that was just included. <laughs> okay, that automatically yeah. everybody pays it because it's so safe. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because they're saying that actually they're not doing all of the things that they could be doing um, and that they um, have chosen... Uh, not to require biometric data from driver applicants. Um, they could mandate the use of video cameras. They don't. I mean, I see them in some cars, but they're not required. Um, and they don't conduct enhanced background checks using the FBI data, data, FBI database. And that's actually utilized by the taxi industry. So if you're in a taxi, you actually are safer than you are um, in Uber because they don't take the same, the same precautions. Yeah. And they could do that. They could, but I mean, from their perspective, I'm sure they're like, well, Lyft isn't doing that. These other car service providers. Well, and they all get sued that. too. They need to do that. I mean, they're saying uh, yeah, that- well, they get sued in six years. Hey, we're kind of we're getting fucked on the sidelines over here until then. Yeah, we're being good guys, but now we're losing market share because it takes so long for people to realize what these other scumbags are doing. Huh. Well, so there, there's been more than 10,000 sexual assaults since 2014, which is right after the company started allowing drivers that didn't have taxi licenses. So originally Uber had drivers. It, yeah. Yeah, it was with taxi licenses. And again, why would you, why, why not employ the same? I mean, we know that there's a process out there because taxi drivers are licensed. So, you know, take these extra steps. But again, that, that would be, be fewer drivers. I mean, they, were, they wouldn't even be money. a fraction of how big they are now if they continue to do that like taxis tucson's a great example there's no fucking taxi industry here like oh, what no, there's like 10 50 i mean yeah okay i'm being dramatic there there's taxis there's a taxi service but the amount of ubers available and how quickly you can get an uber isn't even close to if they had those same requirements as taxis and if in new york yeah that makes sense that makes perfect sense you know because it's just it's one-on-one it makes sense but there's just a lot of parts of the country where uber is even more common because of the necessity of it, because the lack of other similar services that they stand out because they don't have those requirements. Well, uh, I mean, I, I just find it troubling. And, and, and I guess there are situations where people, they know about complaints where drivers have had multiple complaints and they still allow them to That's drive. Shocking. I mean, that just seems, you know, so yeah. obvious. I mean, if you've had a complaint against this person, I mean, come on, there are enough people out there. And I've heard even from people who've been driving that they can't make money because there's too many drivers. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I guess maybe during certain time frames and all, but that they can't make money because there's too much competition for the rides that pop up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe they would have enough people. Um, and, and I'd rather, you know, have a harder time getting a ride than get in the car and get raped. It's fair. I think I think <laughs> you're with most people there. Yeah. So anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, exactly. The complaint says prioritizing profits over safety. Um, Uber, Uber and its executive officers uh, made the conscious decision not to warn customers or users of the risk of being assaulted, even after Uber and its leadership were fully aware of this risk. I don't think they asked us for our brand permission there. I <laughs> know. Using the What the hell? So yeah, so that's... Um, uh, uh, it's just, well, and I use Uber all the time, yeah. you know, and most of the times, I mean, actually on the way to the airport, um, I had scheduled an Uber since Peter was going to pick me up coming back. Um, and it was this really nice guy and he was from, um, 
Malta, so Italian, an island off of Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a medical doctor, who an oncologist, but he hasn't yet gotten licensed in the United States. So in the meantime, he's driving an Uber. Um, he had to take like a two-year course to get his, yeah. um, you know, to be licensed here in the United States to practice medicine. Um, and he's driving Uber. I mean, you know, fascinating, interesting guy, felt totally safe. I mean, there are people out there who need and want these jobs. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I mean, I, it, it just seems obvious that you should do, you know, and again, it's not even like we're saying it's so excessive. It's just what the taxi industry does. And why does a taxi industry do it? Because people get in strangers' cars. Yeah. And that's the risk. That makes sense. I, I wonder if there's going to be a similar lawsuit for Lyft. Or well, I'm sure if they're not. Yeah, I mean, others. I suspect so. Yeah, I mean, like in that type of industry, it's not like one is really that much better than the other. Like, it, it, I think there there's a lot of kind of just overlap and shady practices that everyone does to dominate the market share, especially in a very new market like Uber and Lyft and these uh, riding riding services where it's it's well, it's been like ten years old. That's like nothing. That's nothing in sure. terms of a business and in, in in terms of a multi billion dollar industry like this. Well, what they should do is one of them. I mean, either Uber or Lyft should start advertising and help charge a safety fee, but but, but that, say you know we do this extra step, we do the FBI investigation that the other one doesn't. I would only use that one. I but that that's the thing is that they can do that and they have done that, but they're not doing it. But no, they just say they don't have to because they just say we're safer. We have additional safety checks. Well, They'll then say then they're we lying and they get sued. <laughs> five more safety, five more safety checks than our competitors, and those five safety checks is asking for the driver's dog's name and and the maiden's name, and they're like, oh well, check off the well, box. Well, see, and then that's false advertising, which we talked about earlier as well. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Well, I mean, it's it is good that um, this is is being addressed. Um, I think I, I've, I've heard of complaints as well from some of my friends. And I know like in college, a lot of uh, girls like wouldn't let each other Uber home alone, especially after yeah. a party. Like they would always Uber in, in pairs or in, in groups or at least with yeah. one guy there just to be safe. Well, and especially too, because a lot of the reason that people use Uber is that they know that they're going to be drinking and they don't want exactly. to dry, drink and drive. So now you, 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 know, you have alcohol in your system. You're even more susceptible, more vulnerable. Yeah. And then here you are. Um, you know, with somebody who can, who can tell, I mean, they pick you up at a bar, you're inebriated. Yeah. It's interesting. An industry that's intended to be used when you're inebriated, inebriated, when you're under the, you know, substances, taking substances. uh, And then there's this lack of, of security within it. It's like a, you know, the can kind of don't, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make no, sense. No, it doesn't. But I mean, they could, they could do better. And so hopefully this will force them to do better, Yeah. which is the reason for lots of lawsuits. Well, and so the lawsuit has been made. It hasn't been um, brought together. Or, no, no, it has. So it, it has is consolidated. consolidated. Yeah. Okay. It's in uh, California federal So it is, it is pr- taking some big strides here and, and um, Okay. Yeah, so we'll keep you up to date on that. And if anyone has any experiences or cases like that, they can reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Give us a call. We'd be happy to get you included in the multi-district litigation. All righty. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we close out? Uh, I think we pretty much are hitting the hour mark, so we can uh, save anything else for next week. Amazing. Amazing. Well, appreciate everyone for tuning in. Hope you had a fantastic Valentine's Day. Uh, 
thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back next week. If you have any questions, any comments, throw it in the comment section, whether you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Tinder. Tinder. Well, it's probably, you're probably not watching it there. <laughs> but hey, in Hinge, in your profile, when it says, what's your favorite podcast? <laughs> Prioritizing profits. There you go. Yeah, you'll definitely get some swipe, whatever right, whatever the yeah. good one is. Are okay. you kidding me? 100%. 100%. Nice little tip there. Um, if you do have any questions or comments that you don't want to put out there in the public, completely understandable, you can email us at podcast at showeredlaw.com. Anything sent there, we'll keep it completely anonymous. If you want us to talk about your case, if you have any questions, any concerns, anything like that, we're more than happy to address them and, and talk about it. And um, I know that we're interested and I'm sure uh, our viewers are interested and maybe uh, we'll help them out as well. Um, I hope you have a fantastic week and we'll see you next week. Prioritizing profits. Prioritizing profits. Prioritizing profits. Dangerous drug and product cases.